Well, good morning, Gateway family. I'm glad to get to greet you this morning, and I'm thankful in the midst of the trials that we're walking through for the way that each of you are pursuing God and still pursuing community with one another. I love your creativity and the ways you are reaching out and caring for one another during this time. I just want to encourage you to press on in what you're doing and seeking hard after the Lord and seeking hard after community with one another. And I'm excited that we get to gather this Sunday morning again to open God's word together. And before we dig into God's word, once again, CJ, our associate pastor, is going to open us in prayer today. CJ? Gateway family, I want to begin this morning by reading a prayer. During some of our nights of praise and different events we've had, we have the privilege of reading from some Puritan prayers from hundreds of years ago. So I just felt led this morning to read this wonderful prayer that was spoken, again, hundreds of years ago by the Puritans to kind of set the tone for us this morning before we get into our prayer time. O fountain of all good, destroy me in every lofty thought. Break pride to pieces and scatter it to the winds. Annihilate each clinging shred of self-righteousness. Implant in me true lowliness of spirit. Abase me to self-loathing and self-abhorrence. Open in me a fount of penitential tears. Break me, then bind me up. Then will my heart be a prepared dwelling for my God. Then can the Father take up his abode in me. Then can the blessed Jesus come with healing in his touch. Then can the Holy Spirit descend in sanctifying grace. O Holy Trinity, three persons and one God, Inhabit me, a temple consecrated to thy glory. When thou art present, evil cannot abide. In thy fellowship is fullness of joy. Beneath thy smile is peace of conscience. By thy side, no fears disturb. No apprehensions banish rest of mind. With thee, my heart shall bloom with fragrance. Make me through repentance for thine indwelling. Nothing exceeds thy power. Nothing is too great for thee to do. Nothing too good for thee to give. Infinite is thy might, boundless thy love, limitless thy grace, glorious thy saving name. So let angels sing for sinners repenting, prodigals restored, backsliders reclaimed, Satan's captives released, blind eyes open, broken hearts bound up, the despondent cheered, the self-righteous stripped, the formalist driven from a refuge of lies, the ignorant enlightened, and saints built up in their holy faith. I ask great things of a great God. And Lord, we do come to you this morning with that declaration. Lord, it never ceases to amaze me of these prayers hundreds of years ago, praying to the same God we're praying to today, trusting in the same Lord, trusting in your providence and your sovereignty. And Lord, as that last statement declared, we are asking great things this morning of a great God. And Lord, we do come before you during this, again, season of uncertainty and and trial and struggle. And Lord, we do continue to ask, God, that you bring a stop to this virus. Lord, we're never going to stop asking. We're never going to stop seeking. You tell us to come before you and ask those things that are on our heart and things going on in our world. And so we are submitting to you, God, that you would bring this to a halt. You are a sovereign creator of the universe. You can do all things. All power is yours. And in the midst of this, God, we know families and people all over this country and this world are struggling right now, even grieving with loss of loved ones who have passed away. God, we pray for your strength and your peace to come, that you would draw people to yourself, that you would bring healing, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, that you would intervene in these situations and these families. God, protect those in our families here in Montgomery, or we cry out for your mercy for Montgomery specifically where we are that you would bring protection and healing and strength to our community. 
And Lord, in the midst of this time of uncertainty and where people have doubt and struggle and worry, anxiety, God, I pray that your body, your church, your people would rise up with hope. God, when people would look to us, because again, we should respond differently. We should have a kingdom view of this situation biblically. And when lost ones or young people in their faith would come and say, what's going on? How do we approach this? God, give your people wisdom and discernment and guidance, things that they need to say and share based on your word, looking to you as our hope of all things. You are the only answer to this, God. And we look to you this morning and say, you are our hope. You are the one that can bring peace and comfort and strength. And in the midst of our Gateway family, I ask specifically too, Lord, that you would continue to draw us closer as families. God, that we would see the value and the importance of reaching out to each other in community during this time through social media, many getting on Zoom now or other circumstances or ways that we can connect, even practicing social distancing, Lord, but to stay connected, to stay encouraging each other and to stay um, close as a body, not just as our individual family units, Lord, but as, a bo- as the body of Christ in our local community at Gateway. And Lord, sometimes during this season, we can get so focused on ourselves. And I do lift up this morning that we can corporately come together and lift up New Life in Christ Church, the Hispanic congregation that meets in our building. Lord, I know Eduardo and his leadership team and them are seeking ways to do what we've done to have little small groups and ways that families can get together and stay connected and grow in the word. And I pray, Lord, for their influence in the Hispanic community as well, God, that you would bring them to be in a position of hope and salt and light in your ambassadors to reach out to those in their surrounding community. We pray protection over them as well, that you would give them wisdom and guidance during this season and draw people, Lord, to their congregation. Draw, connect them with relationships of individuals that are lost that they could come to saving faith today. And Lord, for the same with the Mistech Church here in Montgomery, that we have the privileges, the Baptist Association, to be connected with Pastor John Halbrooks and Lisa Rose and this tight-knit community, God, what an opportunity for the gospel to inundate this mystic community here in Montgomery. In a time of uncertainty, and they may be struggling in fear, I know they practice a religion, God, where they seek um, um, kind of consoling from the spirits, Lord, this witchcraft and this occultic-type atmosphere with sacrifices and things and situations with health. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would bring wisdom and the gospel would come. And God, you would bring uh, them to draw them to these individuals in these settings where John and Lisa can minister and the, and the volunteers working with the Mystic community. God, this could be a crucial time that the gospel can penetrate this community where evil is rampant, where the spirits and dark forces are at work, that the light of Christ can come in, the light of the gospel can permeate this community during this season as they seek hope and seek shelter in you. And Lord, as we've done in the past, we want to remember globally of different people groups. And Lord, we re- I pray for the unreached people group, the Yugong tribe of Thailand. Lord, right now is there a very small tribal area there on the east side of Thailand. Lord, they're one of the smallest distinct Buddhist groups. And God, we just pray and lift them up. We need to remember, even going through what we're going through, God, there are tribes and people groups all over the world who have never heard the name of Jesus in their native tongue. And Lord, I just pray for this people group and for those around them, the other Christians in Thailand, that there would be a strategy, God, to reach the Yugong, that other Christians in that community would see the importance of reaching them with the gospel. And this tribal group does speak Thai. So I pray, God, that Bibles and maybe the Jesus film can be brought in to reach this small group there in the, um, on the coastline of Thailand. So we thank you, Lord, that we can even lift them up, that we can pray for them. We can list them by name, God, before the throne of grace. 
that you would reach the Yugong people and bring saving faith to them, Lord. And again, we just thank you for this opportunity to be able to have your word come forth, Lord. We just pray for Grady. We thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you for his love of your word. We thank you for his shepherding heart to love us, to serve us, to protect us, to feed us your word, God. We pray that you fill him afresh this morning by your spirit, that you would encourage him, that you strengthen him, give him energy as your word comes forth. Lord, we're excited to hear what you have for us this morning. Bless him, encourage him, raise him up, God, for such a time as this. And God, we just pray, and again, in the name of Jesus, we trust you, you're good, you're kind, you're loving, and we seal all of this by the power and the authority of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And thank you, CJ. Thanks for praying for us this morning. Well, Gateway family, we live in a world of what have been called sound bites. Sound bites are phrases that are extracted from much larger speech or context. We hear sound bites all the times in the media and on social media as well. We see sound bites from speeches where we hear just one line of what some political figure or leader said. We see sound bites or hear sound bites and we hear a phrase coming from an article without ever seeing the context around it. And even as the way we see on social media, the way the news gets reported, we just get sound bites of what people have said and sound bites of what's happening in the world. And friends, as that happens, our brains get accustomed, get trained to getting information through these little sound bites, these little short phrases. And brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, we begin to approach Scripture that way. We begin to approach Scripture, hearing it just in sound bites and missing the broader context, the big picture of what God is saying to us. It happens inadvertently through a lot of devotionals. It'll put one phrase of a verse and then tell us good things after it. It happens in a lot of ways inadvertently through the way we post Scripture on social media. And friends, those devotions are good and sharing social media, sharing God's word on social media is good because God's word is powerful and God can use even sound bites of his word to change hearts. So we don't want to minimize that. But friends, if all we ever see are sound bites of God's word, we're missing a lot of what God has for us. Now, as we think about sound bites of scripture, there's certain phrases we hear at different times. So when it comes around to graduation time in May, we'll see a lot of sound bites of Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. When you see debates going on about morality, you'll see a lot of sound bites of Matthew 7, 11, judge not. And friends, as we're in the middle of trials, you see a lot of sound bites of Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything. Now, the danger, friends, of us only hearing sound bites of God's word is really twofold. One is we miss what the context is of that sound bite, that verse, that phrase of scripture. And there's a lot more to what God has for us than just that little phrase that we see in the devotion or that we see on social media. But the second danger of the soundbite approach to Scripture is that we get numb to the wonder of what God has for us. And particularly as we're walking through trials right now, and we see a lot of postings of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. And we hear that prayed, we see those soundbites of that verse, we can become numb to the wonder of what God really has for us. So this morning I want us to go to Philippians chapter 4, and I want you to find your copy of God's Word or open your Bible app on your phone so we can read God's Word together because I want you to see the wonders around this phrase that we hear a lot these days, do not be anxious about anything. And friends, while you're finding Philippians chapter 4 in God's Word, I want to ask you a question this morning that I want to guide our time together in God's Word. That question is simply this, how do we have peace instead of anxiety? How do we have peace? How do we find peace instead of anxiety or worry. Friends, there are so many things right now you and I and our flesh could be anxious about. The coronavirus itself, the economy, job stability, our health, the health of family members and friends. There's so much that our hearts can worry about, so much we can be anxious about right now. But God's word tells us in so many places, friends, that we can have peace. 
a peace that's not dependent upon our circumstances. The question, friends, is how? How do we find that peace? Well, friends, as we look at Scripture, there's two really broad categories we need to understand. And really, every passage of Scripture can fit into one of these two categories. Those are descriptive passages and prescriptive passages. Now, descriptive passages of Scripture describe for us something. They just tell us what happened. Prescriptive passages of Scripture prescribe something for us. They have commands. They have imperatives that we're to obey. And both are important in God's Word, and God gives us both of those. Now, when we gathered last week online, we looked at Psalm 73. Now, Psalm 73 is a descriptive passage. It doesn't have any commands in it, but it describes for us this journey of Asaph turning his focus from his circumstances to God. And Asaph's example for us in Psalm 73 was an amazing testimony, an amazing example of what you and I can experience by the grace of God as well. That amazing example for us of how we can turn our focus from our circumstances upwards to God as we think about the goodness of God, as we pause to just praise God for who he is, as we pursue God's presence. And like we saw last week with Asaph, it changed him. Asaph found peace when he turned from looking at circumstances and turned to look at God. Well, friends, today I want us to go to a prescriptive text, a text that prescribes for us God's will for us. It doesn't just show an example, but it now tells us very plainly with imperatives, with commands, this is the will of God for all of his children. And that's what we come to in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4 this morning, we're going to look at verses 4 to 9. In these five verses, friends, we're going to see six different commands, six different imperatives that show us very clearly and very plainly what is the will of God for our lives. Yes, one of those commands is do not be anxious about anything. But I want you to see this morning, there's five other commands around that command. And those five other commands, I'm convinced, show us how we obey that command to not be anxious in trials like this. These other five commands show us what it looks like to be freed from anxiety and find peace instead. So as we read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9 this morning, I just want to ask you to be looking for these commands that we see in here. And how do these commands show us how we find peace instead of anxiety? Well, I want to ask you to do what we do when we gather at Gateway. If possible, if you stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Because, friends, we have such a treasure right here in God's Word and His revelation to us. So we're going to read Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read all of our verses for today, verses 4 to 9. And I'm reading out the English Standard Version Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I want to pray for us, friends. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. God, we thank you that you've not hidden yourself from us. You've not hidden your will from us. But God, you've shown us very clearly who you are and who we are and what it means to walk with you. And so this morning, God, as we gather together online, as people are meeting together in their homes and with their family and friends to study your word, God, we pray your word would come alive to us. 
And we pray your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us and would open our eyes to the wonders of your word, that you would encourage us where we need encouraging, you give us conviction where we need conviction, and you just work in our lives, illuminating your word, that you might transform us and sanctify us and make us into who you desire us to be as your people. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated now. Philippians chapter 4 here. I want us to see how we can have peace instead of anxiety. Now, before we dig into the text to see that, we need to make sure we understand the terms. If we're talking about being anxious, what are we talking about, friends? Well, anxiety is worrying about what possibly could happen. That's our key definition of what we're trying to get free from, is worrying about what possibly could happen. That is anxiety. What's fascinating is in in the text here, when it talks about do not be anxious and gives us this command, the word anxious in the Greek comes from a root word that literally means to be pulled apart. And friends, isn't that what anxiety does to us? It pulls us apart. It divides us. It distracts us. It harms us. And anxiety is so bad for who we are. It pulls us apart. Now, where does anxiety come from? I've been really helped from a little booklet by Stuart Scott. He's a biblical counselor, and we have his booklet in our resource center in the hallway outside the church office that you can get when we gather back together again. And Stuart Scott real helpfully says that anxiety comes from one of three places. It comes from, number one, focusing on our circumstances, instead of focusing on God. It comes from our circumstance, focusing on circumstances instead of focusing on God. And isn't that what we saw last week in Psalm 73 with Asaph? He says there's a second source of anxiety, though, and that's focusing on ourselves. Focusing on ourselves and anxiety really at its core is selfishness. We're worried about what's going to happen to us or circumstances that affect us or people that we love. Or it's really selfish at the core. But number three, he says, anxiety comes from fearing something more than we fear God. And so our anxiety comes from either focusing on our circumstances instead of God, it comes from focusing on ourselves and our selfishness, or it comes from fearing something more than we fear God. And when we understand that's what anxiety is, and that's where it comes from, is it any wonder then to us what God says about how God views the worry and anxiety in our lives? So go, go back with me in Philippians 4 to verse number 6. Let's see what God tells us. Do not be anxious about anything. And friends, like I've said before in the Greek, anything means anything. There, there is no asterisk here. It says, do not be anxious about anything, asterisk, except for the coronavirus or except for the stock markets or whatever else. There's no exceptions giving here. Friends, that means that for you and I, if we are in Christ, there's nothing that can ever justify worry in our hearts, anxious thoughts in our minds. Now, lest we think Paul is writing this from someplace removed from hardship, he's not. Friends, Paul is not writing to the people at Philippi, sitting in a coffee shop in Rome, drinking his cappuccino, sitting in a nice, plush environment here. Like Paul is writing from hardships. Paul is writing this, do not be anxious, from prison. He's being persecuted for his faith. He is now in prison. He's going to face an impending death for his faith. And he's willing to, in the midst of that, where there's so much that he could be anxious about, to write to himself and to these people and to us today, do not be anxious about absolutely anything. God's word calls anxiety a sin. God's word calls worry a sin. And yet, friends, we are so quick to try to excuse it. We even change the terms for it to try to justify worry in our lives. We call it just being stressed out. Or we call it, I'm just overwhelmed. Or I'm just concerned about this. Or we even just sometimes write off and say, well, it's just who I am. I can't help it. But friends, no matter what we try to do to excuse the word anxiety, God's verdict remains the same. He sees it as a sin, and he tells us here in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about anything. And though he tells us this, friends, for you and for me and for so many believers, this is a real struggle. 
It was a real struggle for the people in Philippi that Paul was originally writing to here. The phrase here, do not be anxious, in the Greek, it literally means stop being anxious. Implied in this phrase, in this verb that Paul is using, it means to stop doing something you're doing. That means Paul is writing to people, and he knows they're anxious. He knows they're worried about things. And he writes to them and says, stop. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying about these things. He loves them so much that he gently corrects them here and shows them a better way to live. God wanted them to stop sinning with their worry and find peace. And friends, God wants us to stop worrying as well and to find peace as well. So brothers and sisters, how do we find peace instead of anxiety? Well, there's six commands in the text we read this morning. We've just looked at the first one of those, and that's the command to do not be anxious. But there's five other commands around it. And I believe these other five commands show us how we can practically experience not being anxious and how we can practically experience finding peace that can only come from God. So I want us this morning to briefly look at these five other commands around the soundbite command we're familiar with, do not be anxious. I want you to see the wonders of how these other five commands help us obey this command to not be anxious. So five things I'm convinced from this text we need to do if we are struggling with worry and anxiety. Number one, we need to rejoice in our standing before God. We need to rejoice in our standing before God. Look at verse four of our text this morning, Philippians chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Friends, this is so important. Paul repeats himself here. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, rejoice. Now, friends, there's a lot of confusion about the word rejoice. If you think back to James chapter 1, when we studied that a few months ago as we were beginning our journey through James together, and we saw in James chapter 1 the verse that we're going to find pure joy in the trials, that we're to find joy in the trials. And when we talked about that at that point, we said there's a lot of confusion about the word joy, because joy is not the same as happiness. Joy and happiness are very different. Happiness, friends, is circumstantial. Happiness is when we're smiling and jumping up and down because our team has won, we got the job, or when this pandemic of the coronavirus ends. When the circumstances change, we find happiness. And we saw when we saw in James 1, it's important to understand in this text as well, that joy is not an emotion. And please don't miss that. Joy is not an emotion we feel. Joy is a state of being. Joy is a state of being. Joy means we have a settled attitude. Joy means we have contentment. We have hope. We're settled. We're steadfast. And so to rejoice, if we apply it to this text here, to rejoice is to experience great joy. Joy is being steadfast, having a settled attitude. So to rejoice here is to experience great joy, is to experience great contentment, great hope, great being settled, great steadfastness. And friends, what is the basis of us being able to be steadfast and settled and having peace and hope and joy in all these circumstances? We'll look back at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord. That means, friends, our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Our joy comes from our identity in Christ, who we are in him, who we are in the Lord. Friends, regardless of what happens around us, if we are in Christ, if we belong to Christ, if we're trusting in him alone as our Lord and Savior, that means regardless of our circumstances, we are forgiven of our sins, that we've been adopted by God and we're his children and we belong to him, that God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that God has a plan for our lives. He's working all things to bring good to us and to bring glory to his name. And friends, that gives us joy. That gives us a settled attitude. That gives us contentment regardless of our circumstances. That enables us to rejoice and it helps free us from worry and gives us peace when we remember our standing in Christ, that we belong to God. And no circumstance, not even the coronavirus, can take away from us that identity in Christ, that standing we have before God. 
There's a second command here in this text that also helps us see how we are free from worry. The first one was that we need to remember our identity in Christ and rejoice in that. But the second one is we need to seek to serve others. Now, if you're thinking, I don't remember seeing that in the text, you're watching closely because it's there, but not in the way we'd expect to see it. Look at verse 5 here for the second command in this text. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. You may be thinking, I don't see service right there. Well, this word reasonableness is a really tough word in the Greek to translate. You really don't find it anywhere besides here. And so depending on what translation you're reading out of as you follow along with this, it may read totally different. Some of your translations are going to say, let your moderation be made known to everyone. Some may say, let your forbearing spirit be known to everyone. Some translations say, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Here, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, regardless of how your translation translated, at the core of this word that scholars struggle to translate, it's a word about selflessness. It's a word about having genuine care for others. And so when you're reading verse 5 here, what you should be seeing is let your genuine care for others be known. Let your selfless sacrifice be known. Let your forbearing spirit be known. Friends, this is a command for us to care about others, not ourselves, to seek the good of others and to serve other people. But it's interesting, the command here in verse 5 tells us to let our reasonableness be known to all. Well, at first glance, that may seem self-serving. Wait, wait, are other people supposed to notice this? Well, this is not a command to boast in ourselves about our service of others. This is a command to so let our lives be characterized not by selfishness, but by service to others, that we're known for our concern. We're known for our love for other people because we do this so much. Well, that raises an interesting question for us, friends. How does us serving other people help free us from worry? Well, think back to when I was mentioning at the beginning the definition of anxiety, and then we looked at the three different ways of where places anxiety comes from. One of the places anxiety came from, I mentioned, was it comes from our selfishness. Friends, when by God's grace we seek to not be selfish but to serve others, it begins to change our perspective. Think of selfishness as being the soil in which worry grows. Selfishness is the soil that lets anxiety take root. And when by God's grace we turn our focus from ourselves to genuine care for others, what this word reasonableness is really all about, it changes the soil. It removes the soil in which anxiety is so quick to grow. And it takes that fuel away that so fuels our anxiety and our worry. So friends, how do we have peace instead of anxiety in these days of the trials we're walking through? Number one in this text from the first command, we remember our standing before God. Friends, if you think about our standing before God and all that God has done for us in his kindness and his grace and his mercy and his love, is it any wonder that the very next command is now for us to go show to others the same type of love God has shown to us, to show to others the same kindness God has shown to us, to show to others the same love and mercy and grace that God has poured out into our lives. So if we want freedom from worry, if we want to find peace, if we want to be able to obey the command of verse 6 of not being anxious, we need to remember our standing before the Lord. And then number two, we need to seek to serve other people. But there's a third command here I want you to see. If We want to find freedom from worry, and that is we need to pray with thankfulness. We need to pray with thankfulness. Let's go back to verse 6 here. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So our next command here is the command to let our request be made known to God. Now, friends, again, this is an imperative in the Greek. This is a command that we are to obey. Instead of worrying, God commands us to go talk to him about our concerns. Instead of being anxious, God commands us to go speak with him about those things that our heart would naturally be anxious about. Now, friends, when we go to talk to God about our concerns, we're not doing it to inform God of things he doesn't know. 
God is omniscience, omni all science knowledge, omniscience, omni science, all knowledge. That God knows everything that ever has happened, that is happening, and that will happen. There's nothing that God does not know at all. So we do not go to God to inform him of things. We go to God out of a sense of dependence, going to the one who already knows the struggles that we're walking through, friends. And so we go to God not to inform him how many cases of coronavirus there are today in Alabama. We go to God right now in a sense of dependence going, Lord, I don't have the wisdom I need, but you do. God, I don't know how this is all going to play out, but God, you do. God, I don't have the strength to change this, but God, you do. So we go to him as a child going to a loving father saying, God, help. I don't know how to make these things right. Don't you notice how we approach God when we talk to him? There's three words here in verse 6 that are used to describe how we talk to God, how we let our requests be made known. And notice in verse 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So we're told to do things with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Prayer, friends, is just talking to God. That's a general word for us speaking to God. Supplication is a specific type of prayer. It's prayers where we're asking God for a thing. So here we are actually commanded to let our requests be made known to God, to bring supplications, to bring requests and talk to God about our concerns and our needs. But notice that third phrase, we're to do this with thanksgiving. Going to God, not demanding, but going to him with a heart of thankfulness that he cares about us, with a heart of thankfulness that we belong to him, with a heart of thankfulness that we can talk to him, with a heart of thankfulness that he is going to answer our prayers. We go to God with thankfulness for all that he has done and will continue to do. So friends, as we pray, it turns our hearts from self-reliance, which is where worry and anxiety grow so much. It turns our hearts from that self-reliance and it takes us to God-reliance we find peace. But specifically as we pray with thanksgiving, it turns our hearts from what we do not have, which is often what we're anxious about, and it turns our hearts to the multitude of blessings we have in Christ because we belong to him. And that type of prayer reorients us. So friends, if we want peace as we walk through this coronavirus situation, God offers it to us. But he calls on us to not be anxious We do that by the first command of remembering our standing before God. We do that by the second command of seeking to show kindness and concern for others. And we do that by the third command of praying to him with thankfulness. But there's two more I want you to see. The fourth command I want you to see here is that we're to think about the nature of God. We're going to think about the nature of God. Now, this is what we saw Asaph model for us last week in that descriptive text in Psalm 73. Now we come to the prescriptive text that commands us to think about God's nature. Look at verse number eight in this text. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, friends, let me ask you, who alone is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise? Yeah, only God fits that description. And friends, what message that you and I can read is the only message that is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise? Yes, the gospel message, the scriptures, the Bible, the story of redemption of who God is and what he has done in giving his grace and his mercy to us. Friends, verse 8 here is a call for us to think about the nature of God, to think about his attributes, to think about his gospel message, his story of grace. Friends, can I suggest today that we cannot think about the sovereignty, the all-power, the just the justice and the mercy and the grace of God, his providence, his omniscience, his omnipotence, all these things. We can't think about those and worry at the same time. We can't gaze on the glory of God and feel anxious. We can't ponder the sovereignty and the providence and the power of God and be worried. 
So God commands us to think about his nature. We turn our focus from our situations to the one who is sovereign over those situations we find ourselves in. So how do we have peace? How do we obey the command of verse 6? Remember our standing before God. We seek to show kindness to others. We pray with thankfulness, and we think about the nature of God. There's one more command I want you to see here. That is, we focus on what we can control, our response. We focus on what we can control, which is our response. Friends, have you ever noticed that when you and I are worried or anxious, we're focused on things outside of our control? And when we're being worried and anxious and focusing on those things we cannot control, often we're neglecting to do the very things that we can control. That's our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And that's what verse 9 tells. Look at the very next verse. Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, practice these things. This is the same type of command we saw in James 1.22, right before we broke that study two weeks ago. The last time we were together at the Gateway Campus, we looked at James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And that's the same thing now that Paul is telling us to practice these things that you have learned, to do these things. Friends, you and I cannot control the coronavirus. We can't control the stock markets. We can't control even our own health in this, but we can seek grace to obey God right now. We can seek God's grace and ask God for help today and to, to change how we speak, how we love our spouse and our kids, how we love others, how we serve others, how we pray. And friends, if you need some specific commands that you want to dwell on, think about what you, by God's grace, can do during the coronavirus, go back and listen to our sermon from two weeks ago in James 1.22. We spent the last few minutes of that message looking at some specific commands you and I need to obey as we walk through the coronavirus. So friends, how do we have peace Instead of anxiety, how do we obey the command of verse 6 to not be anxious? Well, these other commands we've just seen. We rejoice. That means we remember our standing before God. We let our reasonableness be known to others. That means we seek to show kindness and concern for others. We let our requests be made known to God. That means we talk to God in prayer with thanksgiving. We're to think about these things, which means we think about the attributes of God. And then we practice these things, which means we focus on obeying the commands of Scripture. And friends, by God's grace... And the strength he gives us, the Holy Spirit fills us and enables us to walk with the Lord. As we seek to do these things, look at what God promises to do. Friends, this is absolutely stunning. Look at verse 7 in this text. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says the peace of God. Now, don't miss this word of right here because this word of is really important. In the Greek, this word connects us that this is the peace that is in God's nature himself. Friends, do you realize this is the peace God possesses? Do you understand that God has never once worried about anything? That God never in all of eternity has had an anxious thought ever, and he never will. This is the peace of God, the peace that belongs to God, the peace of God's very nature. Friends, that's what God is offering to us. Not some peace we conjure up in our own hearts. He's offering us the peace that comes from his very nature, and he promises to give us that peace to, notice the word here, to guard us. Now, in the Greek, the word guard here means to garrison us. A garrison is like a military outpost. And the people at Philippi, when they heard Paul say that God has given us his peace to garrison our hearts and our minds, they would get the image because in Philippi, there was a garrison. There was a military outpost where the Roman soldiers controlled the town and guarded the town. Friends, that's the image for us here. The God gives us the peace from his very nature to guard us. Friends, we have the strongest guard possible. We have guard him, God himself garrisoning us, guarding us. And it says here that he guards our hearts and our minds. That God is standing there to guard our thoughts 
and our affections, when our heart is so prone to worry, when our mind is so quick to wander after these thoughts of anxious thoughts, God is standing there ready to garrison us, to guard us from those anxious thoughts and those anxious things that happen in our hearts as well. Because for everyone who is in Christ, we don't have to be worried. We don't have to be anxious. God offers us the strongest guard possible, and that is himself watching over us, building a fort over our thoughts and over our affections. But notice how God guards us in this way. And this is verse 9. Look at the end of our text for today. Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Now notice this last phrase, And the God of peace will be with you. Now I want you to notice the word order that changes here, because this is really telling for us on this. In the verse 7, it told us that the peace of God would guard us. Now in verse 9, we're told that the God of peace is with us. So the peace of God guards us, and now the God of peace is with us. Do you realize what this is showing us? The way God guards us with his peace is he gives us himself. And don't miss that. The way that God guards us with his peace from verse 7 is verse 9 here. He gives us himself. He gives us his very presence. Friends, do you realize that God is both the giver and the gift? And just think on that one today, that God is both the giver. We need peace in the midst of this situation where we could be so anxious. And God is the giver of peace. But the gift he's giving us is he's actually giving us himself and the peace of his nature. He's giving us his presence. And friends, that is where we find peace. Friends, you and I cannot change our circumstances. But if we are in Christ, if we're trusting in him alone as our Savior and as our Lord, friends, then we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. So the question for us is if you are a follower of Christ, friend, today... Are you finding peace and experiencing peace? Or are you finding worry and anxiety? And friends, as the situation unfolds and we see the number of coronavirus, uh, corona cases spreading as we begin to see deaths from that, as we begin to see all the things happening around us, friends, if you find your heart starting to be troubled, if you find your heart starting to be anxious or worried, I want you to do five things. Don't you remember your standing before God? Like Paul said here in verse 4, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Remember what God has done for you and how secure you are in Christ. Number two, we need to, as Paul said, let our reasonableness be known to others. Seek to serve others. When your heart starts to get worried and anxious, turn your focus to others. And I know with the quarantine restrictions, that can be a little bit harder now, but you can still serve others, friends, by praying for them, by picking up the phone and calling them, by texting them, by emailing them, by writing them. Seek to care about others. And begin to change that soil in which worry can so easily grow. Find your heart being worried. Number three, pray with thankfulness. As Paul said in verse six, let your request be made known to God. Don't just dwell on Don't keep scrolling through the news. Turn and turn all that off and just talk to God about it. Number four, when you're getting anxious, think about the attributes of God. Like he said in verse eight, think about these things. And if you're struggling with that, we have a teaching on our website on the attributes of God. You can find it at gatewaybaptist.com slash messages. And we walk through each of the attributes of God in about a 45-minute teaching several years ago. That's available. And if you want to read on that, we have a number of books in our resource center on the attributes of God. If you want one of those, we'll do curbside delivery. Call the church office, pull up. We'll run one of these books from our resource center out to you so you can study more of the attributes of God. Think about these things. And number five, if your heart is growing anxious or worried, focus on what you can do. Focus on your obedience before the Lord and practice, Paul says here, practice these things. And friends, as we seek God's grace to obey those five commands, as we ask him for help, as we ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to do these five things, then we're going to find it a lot easier to obey verse 6, the soundbite we hear so much. Do not be anxious about anything. And friends, all that is possible because God in his infinite love and grace for us as children promises to be right here with us, giving us his very presence from which we get to experience his peace.
Would you pray with me, Gateway family? Father, we are so thankful for your word and the power of your word. And God, I pray today that your word would be food to each one of us. That God, as we feast on your word and think about your word, that God, you would feed our hearts, you feed our souls in this. And God, there's so much around us about which we could be anxious. And Lord, for all of us who claim the name of Christ, God, would you give us much grace today to not be worried, to not be anxious, but Lord, to look to you and you alone and to find the peace that comes from knowing you. God, I pray that your presence will be very real with each one of your children, even though we're not able to gather together this morning, that your presence will be very, very real with each person of Gateway today. And God, as we experience your presence, we'll experience your peace. And Lord, in any situation that comes up this week where our hearts are going to be prone to worry, God, would you, by your grace and the work of your Holy Spirit in us, would you remind us of your word and would you give us much grace to turn our minds to these things, to think about who you are, to focus on obeying you, to pray and talk to you about these things, to seek to care about others, and ultimately, God, to remember who we are in Christ and that you're holding us in your hand and no one in no circumstance can snatch us out of your hands. And God, we will give you the praise for this. We pray that you'll be glorified in all these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Thanks for listening in today, and I pray that God would give you peace all this week. Have a great Sunday afternoon.